Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the So Weird Podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Zach. I'm Melissa. And I'm Jimmy. And this time we are talking about Season 3, Episode 25, Annie Song, the penultimate episode of So Weird. This was an episode written by Noreen Tobin and Jean F. O'Neill, the only episode either of them has ever written. And you might remember this episode for the iconic music video of Because You're Watching Over Me that would run on Disney Channel all the time in 2001. Oh, wait, it's not just one more thing about the writers, though. This is not just um, the sole credit, so weird related credit of the writers. It's also the sole so weird related credit um, from the director. And it is, in fact, her only credit as a director. Erica Berenger directed this. Um, she's done a lot of assistant directing work, including on a bunch of episodes of So Weird. In fact, I think she was the assistant director on every episode of season three. But this is her only um, actual director credit ever, not just on So Weird, period, which is very peculiar. So Weird did seem to kind of incorporate a lot of female directors, which is kind of cool. It's cool they gave her a shot and let her kind of take the lead. But what makes this strange, you know, IMO, is that this is the, as Kathy said, or uh, excuse me, oh God, I'm so sorry. As Kat said, the uh, second to last episode of the season, the second to last episode of the series, um... The culmination of the entire season arc, you know, you would think Disney would want somebody who has actually, like, worked on the show's narrative before to wrap this up. Like, it's so, so strange to me. It is, you could even say, so weird that they hired somebody who had never directed anything, who would never direct anything again to direct this episode and that they would hire two people who have never written for this series at all to write an episode that is obtensely steeped in so weird lore. It's all very, very strange to me. And I think it might actually be a reason why this episode feels, despite being the conclusion to the entire season three arc, essentially feels rather disconnected from the rest of the series. Good catch. So I think you know how me and Zach feel about this. (laughs) What's your take? Well, I definitely thought that it was a good episode. I felt like she did direct well. I didn't really see any issues with the directing. I liked, um, you know, when they were doing the performance with the tribes people and how it was kind of slowed down. Um, I guess it was a little bit glitchy because you kind of had to pay really close attention to know when Annie was going into like a memory and then it would like flashback. Um, But ultimately I felt like the director did okay. I'm sure she didn't realize at the time that this would be her last directing credit. Um, But the writers, I did notice the two writers, Jean O'Neill and Noreen Tobin, they had worked on other things together before. Like they had both written a 1987 film called Down Twisted together. And they did a couple episodes of some different TV shows together. I'm almost wondering if they're like a couple. I don't know. But um, I ultimately enjoyed it for what it is. 
Okay, you can't just scan over the fact that these people wrote eight episodes of Hercules: The Legendary Journeys, <laughs> right? And Jimmy. Zena. And yeah, well, they yeah, Zena, uh, Trapper John, MD. Um, they were heavily involved with the short-lived Lyndon Ashby spy series Spy Game. Uh, and in fact, apparently, this is the shit you learn on IMDb, but apparently this Gene O'Neill fellow is also an actor and appears in two of Larry Cohen's movies, Chud, Cannibal Humanoid Underground, Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers, and The Stuff, which is a movie about killer yogurt. <laughs> So clearly, we are dealing with some auteurs here, fellow friends. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of like um, John Cooksey and Allie Marie Matheson in the fact that they like write things together a lot, which is interesting. Like that's partially why I think they might be a couple. I mean, who's to say? But as far as the um, the direction goes, like it's interesting. You can tell this person uh, actually has something of a visual style. Which you don't see a lot in television. Usually television is directed to be uniform. Um, so here you can tell that there actually is some stylistic touches as a director. But um, usually, in my experience, I've actually written a lot about directors who have never made anything since. I have a reoccurring series on my blog called No Encores where I do essays about directors that are their, about films that are the director's only credit as a director. And usually when this happens, it's because um, the movie or I mean, this is television we're talking about, but usually with a film, it was a huge flop or the production was a fiasco or somebody just really decided they really didn't want to do this again. You see actors directing once and then never doing it again a lot. But um, so that to me suggests that something, something must have happened behind the scenes to turn Erica Berenger completely off of ever wanting to direct ever again. And in fact, she didn't, she hasn't worked much in general since then. She only has uh, five other credits since this episode as an assistant director. So I think it's kind of a stretch to just go after the director for this episode. But I do find it interesting from a writing standpoint that this episode is heavily based on wrapping up the story of Annie's mysterious childhood incident of getting lost in Peru, which was mentioned in her introductory episode, Lightning Rod, at the beginning of the season. So clearly these writers got notes about where this episode should go. It's just unclear how much of it was them creating based on notes and how much of it they came up with themselves. I did notice a little, like, inconsistency um i went back and checked the episode rewind when remember that college professor like translates the language that annie was i guess backmasked in her song but um she stated that she actually lived in peru when she was three years old that's like her direct line and then this episode actually credits the character as being four years old at the time oh there's so no way that character was four years old that girl looked like she was seven yeah. yeah, yeah, I was thinking six or seven, definitely. Yeah. I was thinking maybe Annie lived in Peru for a couple of years, starting at three years old, and she wasn't really sure what age it was when that happened, because, you know, when you're an adult, you remember things as when you're a kid, but sometimes you don't exactly remember how old you were when something happened, so you only have something so much to go by. Something that kind of reminds me of, like, the actress looking a lot older than the character's age is, like, 
something that comes to mind for me is the film Interview with the Vampire. If you remember, the character Kirsten Dunst played as Claudia. In the novel, the character is actually a five-year-old little girl, but Kirsten Dunst was actually nine years old when she recorded that part, but the character in the film is supposed to be five. But of course, they couldn't get a five-year-old to play like such a in-depth episode with our in-depth film with lines and emotion so they had to cast it an older actress you know yeah it's really yeah. common for actors to be cast older actors portraying younger characters usually they try to get somebody who at least looks the part even if they're older i feel like it was a real casting fumble to go with a girl that looks so old and yeah. thank you jimmy that's our i think that's our first Anne rice reference on this podcast so <laughs> i'm a Anne Rice fan um, but yeah and I did notice that the little actress who played Annie as a four-year-old um, her name is Cassie Deason and this was actually the only acting credit that she has ever had in her life huh. according to IMDb so this just this episode is like the only thing a lot of people did it I just feel like this this episode has ended a lot of careers <laughs> oh my it's reminding me of rewind <laughs> the question I mean, I guess we should, like, get into the actual plot for this episode. But before yes. we do any of that, I just want to ask everybody. Now, I, I have no recollection of seeing this as a kid. I think it is entirely possible I stopped watching the show by this point. But for the people who were watching and were very invested in the Annie's Magical Spirit Panther myth arc, do you just, you know, in as few as word possible, try to answer this question? Did you then, and do you now, find it to be a satisfying conclusion to that story arc? I like the episode, but, uh, yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it's uh, necessarily a satisfying conclusion, but, yeah, I like it, I guess. For nine-year-old me, yes, I liked it. Now, no. Oh, we're talking uh, about, yeah, I don't remember watching it as a kid, but no. <laughs> Yeah, like, nine-year-old me was all into, like, let's go exploring in the woods, and oh my god, animals, magic, yay! <laughs> so, nine-year-old me ate this up. Yeah, as a 13-year-old, that's the age I was when this aired, um, I definitely, like, really connected to it, and I liked it a lot, but now looking back, I can see a lot of the issues with it, um, especially, like, what the hell was a rattlesnake doing in the middle of a Peruvian <laughs> jungle? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that actually is, I don't think there's rattlesnakes in Peru in the jungle, but um, yeah, I can see the problems with it now as an adult. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, that snake, um, yeah, it, <laughs> they could have gone with a lot of different things. I mean, there are all sorts of poisonous animals in Peru, I have no doubt. I mean, I feel like we're getting too far ahead of ourselves because we haven't <laughs> actually gotten into this episode yet. Snake, man. God. All right. So, <laughs> so let's hold off on the snake for a bit. So, anyway, now that it's clear a little bit of background information about this episode, you can kind of get a sense already about the different opinions you'll hear so far. This episode opens up with an intro about how Native Americans believed in dream catchers, and they also believed in coyote, a spirit that liked to play tricks on people, either for fun or for serious reasons, like to teach them a lesson. And Annie sets it up as like, and sometimes that lesson can take us down a scary path. It, like it feels almost reminiscent of Fee's introductions because you get that montage and you get to hear something semi-educational 
about a different culture. So I really like the introduction to this episode. Agreed. Yeah, but, but, you know, the thing is, like, Coyote is one of six or seven characters from American Indian mythology that gets referenced repeatedly in media. Like, um, you know, there's obviously a huge wellspring of stuff you could draw from, but it's usually, like, Coyote or the Wendigo or one of those. Like, you never... <laughs> yeah, and I found it really weird that they brought in Dreamcatchers first, because I think they did that just because that's what everybody's most familiar with when they go to a touristy attraction. Right. Some yeah. American stuff. Right, yeah. I feel like that's Dream... a really cheap grab. Yeah, Dreamcatchers play um, pretty much no role in the story <laughs> at all. Yeah, I noticed that. I was like, okay, she just totally changed the subject in that like two-second intro. Like She just mentioned something like, Dreamcatchers, Native Americans, and then Coyote who's a trickster god like yeah it was definitely like uh, neither here nor there and it it was random yeah this episode does seem very focused on native american culture and i have a lot of questions as to how problematic and accurate (laughs) this portrayal is well you know um at the time in the 90s and this was this came out in like what 2001 2000 and yeah. maybe 2000 and, okay 2001 so it's still basically the 90s at this point uh so you know there was this kind of almost fad like um interest in native american culture in the 90s i mean y- you know it's not i think we're all a little more aware of the implications of a bunch of white people covering them, covering themselves in dream catchers and putting feathers in their hairs and saying like, Oh yeah, you know, my uh, great uncle was uh, 5% Cherokee. So that makes me an American, you know, a native American. Um, yeah. Or I think we're all more aware of the kind of uh problematic aspects of that but there was this sort of dream catchers were super popular which is why i feel like showcasing them before going into coyote was just a really cheap attention grabber yeah Yeah. it was and you just saw a lot there was so much i mean you know walker texas ranger was a show that was on time that was all about like this native american spiritualism and it's like that show stars chuck a man named chuck norris who is <laughs> and there was there was a lot of that yeah you saw a lot of like this co-oping of native american spiritualism in all sorts of genre television and film and writing one thing i think that can be applauded which happens in a lot of media even today where you know there's kind of cast typing and or they don't uh even recognize that the characters in the show, they don't even cast actors that are actually that ethnicity. So I think we can kind of applaud this episode for actually casting native actors to play these parts. I really did appreciate that about the casting. I wondered if they were actual Native Americans. Yeah, um, one person who I actually did a little bit of research on was the gentleman who played the shaman who is Conrad the Panther, or Panthe. Um, his name is Sam Bob, and he actually is a native of Canada, and uh, his real name is Tolkwimolt, and he, like, lived on, um, you know, like, he had to go to a residential school, like, there was a lot of... Um, racism in the country and he actually spoke on it in an interview i wanted to read like his direct quote here um he grew up on a reservation 
but he's a part of the First Nation in Canada, and he had to attend, uh, again, a residential school. And he said that um, they received a reconciliation from the Prime Minister of Canada, and the res- reconciliation came to the forefront when the Prime Minister apologized for putting these Native kids in this residential school. They would, like, pull them away from their parents, and they had to stay on these reservations. And he apologized for Canada to the First Nations people. And uh, the actor, he said, we as First Nations people, we received the apology politically and personally. And having gone to Cooper Island Residential School and living through the injustice through a child's eye, there is no apology that will replace the loss of family and parental love and communal living that I missed out on as a kid. He said our reserves and our communities are still being affected by the fallout of um, these residential schools and all the wrong social statistics that we carry today, like suicide, native apprehension, drug and alcohol issues. And he said, for me, reconciliation will truly happen when we, as a country, Canada can address all of these fallout issues in a uniform and holistic manner with inclusion and consultation from our First Nations people. So yeah, he definitely is a Native person and had even dealt with some of the racism in Canada back in, you know, the 60s and 70s. Uh, wow, Sorry, man, that that's, that's, uh, that's pretty heavy, man. Um, but at least, you know, like back in the um, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, they mostly cast it like um, Italian-American actors to play uh, Native Americans. So at least they don't do that anymore. At least they usually get actual uh, Aboriginal uh, tribal people to play these parts now. Usually, usually. The Unless it's Johnny handled, Depp and the Lone Ranger. The way it's handled in this episode, it's like the Native people are just there for show. We have our opening scene with Jack and the Bell family, including Clue, because Eric Wanda and guest stars in this episode, discussing Ned's desire for a vision quest to find yourself and have your spirit guide be revealed to you. But it's pretty clear that this is like a tourist thing for them to do just for fun. Like they're not really respecting it as a cultural thing. And when they go to talk to the cashier, who turns out to be the shaman thomas uh, morning sun he even says like this isn't a tourist attraction yeah and they do do those type of things um you know where they'll kind of invite the public to come and watch their ceremonies and eat with them like these things really do happen um and where they're carrying on their traditional ceremonies but they do invite the public to kind of pay you know a donation and and sit there and be a part of the community so I mean, it was kind of glazed over, and it definitely seemed kind of whitewashed, but, I mean, these things do take place. I would totally uh, attend one if I could. When I was a kid, we went to some Western Frontier thing, and part of it was Native American-based, but it was all, like, selling dream catchers and just putting on shows, and it didn't feel authentic at all to me. And I feel like that's part of why this episode bothers me, because, again, none of it feels an authentic examination of culture. It all just feels like putting on a show for the sake of a plot. Well, there's a problem here, right? Like, this is an entire episode all about... um, You you have these Native American characters in there. You have this use of Native American mythology, but it's all in service of helping a pretty blonde white girl resolve her problem. And I think that is what truly makes this particular story problematic, as the kids say. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that they don't even mention, like, the name of the tribe that we're viewing, you know? We don't even know where they are or what tribe we're watching, you know? And there's also, like, we eventually, we discover soon enough, and this has, you know, obviously been hinted at before, but Annie, the root of Annie's story with the whole Panther thing takes place in Peru and the Amazon, and it's, the episode sort of treats it all as the same thing as... Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't know where they are. We can assume they're somewhere in either Canada or the Pacific Northwest. Um, And, like, it seems to treat that brand of Native American mysticism as not dissimilar from the Peruvian, Amazonian brand of Native American spiritualism. And that, too, is short-sighted at the very least. I mean, whether or not it's offensive is not really our place to say as a bunch of lily white people but um yeah no it, it is it is just it's clumsy and it's clumsy in the way a lot of pop culture stuff at the time was yeah and i guess if you look at it like from the aspect of like okay they're visiting this tribe and then it was this like this shaman you know who is a shaman because of his father was and hit his father before him so like he saw something in her when they were talking about vision quests and he's like you've already been on your vision quest and you you don't even know who your spirit guide is and you don't remember and like the whole point of coyote is that he takes you past your fear and helps you remember um you know remember your past and that he can show you who your spirit guide is so maybe just like not so much that it kind of clumped it all together to be like one race or one tribe but that just them being in the being around this tribe that that shaman was able to identify in her that that she had forgotten where she was and or that there was the panther following her i really wish they had given us a line that explains why they're there because they're not there for like a concert or a benefit or anything we just... Well, there's a little line where Belinda's, uh, Irene's character, she says, um, it's off the beaten path, but I see why you guys wanted to come here, or, like, something like that, so they kind of, like, took a detour to, like, I guess go to this ceremony, potentially. Yeah, but, like, we don't know where they're going, why they stopped here on the way, it just seems very random, and, like, clearly I mean... this episode exists just to explain Annie's background, but I wish they would have tied it in better with, like, a reason for them being there. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, yeah, well, I and, agree. Okay, so not to jump around too much, but I feel like, okay, actually, I'm totally gonna jump around here, and Kat's oh, gonna please yell don't at me. jump around! <laughs> <laughs> jump around! I came to get down! I came to get down! <laughs> oh my god, no! <laughs> jump around! No, um... <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire, that's what that reminds me of. I completely lost my train of thought now, so... (laughs) No more jumping around for you. Okay, so yeah, so... I guess we should say... um, The spirit of Coyote possesses... What's his name? John Thundertree or some shit? Uh, Thomas Morning Sun. Okay, Thomas Morning Sun is is, uh, taken over by the spirit of Coyote. And he decides to uh, basically... um, Composes the scenario where he can get... Annie alone in the forest so they can have their little spirit vision quest thingy madoodle. Um, so a young girl goes missing or seems to go missing. 
and a search party is assembled. And of course, the Phillipses, the Phillipses, the Phillips go on this uh, search party and Annie gets separated from the group in the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is when we get the entire point of the episode, our big flashback. Okay, I feel like you missed a couple really important points there. <laughs> All right, well, well, reprimand me then. I'm not going to reprimand you. I'm just going to mention that before we get to the part where we see Coyote, the guy, before he's possessed, sees Annie, tells her that she's already had her vision quest, and then he gives her this cryptic warning that she must be careful because... And then the warning's cut off by the announcement, and Annie just leaves without asking for the rest of the warning and it feels like such lazy writing like why doesn't annie pause a minute and ask him for the full story instead she waits and then he gets possessed and then it's not him anymore so he can't finish warning her and also important at the end of that scene clue wraps around an arm around her and it looks really cute and i wish it were feast so badly So, so what you're saying is, in lieu of any Carrie Molly moments in this episode, you seized on this one little moment as something to feed the eternal shipper that lives within you. Is that is that yes. what I'm hearing? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Also, I find it very peculiar peculiar that Carrie has like no lines in this episode at all. It's like because Eric Von Detten was back, they were like, let's make Eric Von Detten do all the talking, and we'll just shove Eric Lively into the back. But he did have, like, a couple lines, like that one line when the lady's like, this is the work of Coyote, and then Carrie's like, I'm not following you. And then at the end, wasn't it Carrie who, like, asked, where's Annie? Yeah, but, like, all the dialogue from all the characters that aren't Annie or the shaman are, like, such throwaway lines. The writing of this episode bothers me so much. I mean, one line that isn't a throwaway line that I genuinely laughed at was when um, Ned was like, when we get back to Hope Springs, I'm going on a, what did he An say? exercise regimen? <laughs> yeah, I laughed so hard at that. There's some uh, some good clue moments in this episode, you know, yeah. give credit where it's due. Clue, yeah, he has a lot of good moments in every episode he's in. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they just shine the spotlight on Clue whenever they could, and nobody else in this episode matters. Right. <laughs> and, like, Eric Von- e- and even when they are in the woods, it's the shaman with Annie, Ned, and Molly. And the shaman and Annie, well, the shaman isn't really the shaman right now, he's Shaman Coyote. And Annie are talking about the panther, like, right in front of Ned and Molly, and they don't notice. All they have to say is, like, oh, we must be the only pers- people still in the woods right now, and I don't hear anything, anybody else. Like, yeah. they basically, one after the other, say the exact same thing. Yeah, and one issue I had with uh, the whole scenes when they're in the forest is uh, whenever Annie's having, like, a little breakdown, I feel like Molly, like, ordinarily would be a little bit more concerned if she saw Annie acting like that. I'd be a little bit more concerned about how predatory the shaman seems to come off on. Like, even him just asking, it must be scary for a little girl to be lost in the woods all alone. If that happened to you, do you think you'd be scared? (laughs) Why are you asking me that? Some some serious creeper vibes there. And then he gives the creepiest (laughs) laugh. Yeah. Yeah. 
I definitely no- noticed like how cringeworthy it was, and then the fact that like Ned and Molly are right there, but he's like up in Annie's face like several times during that little you know escapade through the forest. I'm like, wouldn't they be like, why are you? What is something wrong with her? Like, get out of her face! Like, why yeah. is she that close to her? Like, they should be putting space between Annie and the shaman. Because like I never picked up on this as a kid. But watching it now, like, it's creepy. Especially because of the way he talks to Annie. Some of his lines are things when he's trying to get her to remember her past. He And he's trying to get her to open up about what she is remembering. Is like, oh, you can tell me. I'm a shaman. And it's like, that's so, so creepy. I think it's because it's the coyote, not actually the shaman. Because Coyote is basically a predator. Mm. That's that's creepy. That's creepy. Yeah. Yeah, it was like his delivery, like his line delivery that made it seem so like cringeworthy. Like, like the guy in the job that you're like, why does he talk to me like that? Yeah, that was probably um, totally uh, not deliberate on their behalf to uh, (laughs) insert that kind of uncomfortable, um, like, uh, like, is Annie going to be okay, guys? Like, (laughs) should we call the cops? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it's just writing that did not age well at all. Yeah. Like, so many things about this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Which kind of makes me wonder, like, like, you can almost understand why Disney is kind of, like, ignoring this show's existence because of, like, all the issues that, say it airs now, like, maybe this newer millennial audience would probably just pick it apart online. And maybe they're afraid of that, like, some of the backlash it no, might No, I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think that has anything to do with it. No, I think that's, um, I, I just, Disney just doesn't remember the show exists no, I think right they remember. Now. It's just, it's from a different era. It's from when Disney was into dramas, and now they're into comedies. It doesn't match the brand that they have become. Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. But anyway, while they're all lost in the woods, it turns out the little girl Maria that they've been looking for was just hunting around for pine cones. <laughs> and she's safe and sound, but the shaman, Annie, and Molly and Ned are still lost in the woods for most of this episode. And during this time, we get the flashbacks to little Annie running around in the Peruvian jungle and coming across an indigenous man who's, like, frozen. Okay, right. This is this is the most important uh, thing we got to talk about, this flashback yeah. sequence. And as he's frozen... Oh, wait. Before this... Another creepy thing that the shaman said was, you better stay on the path. You never know what kind of animals are out there waiting. And it's supposed to foreshadow the snake, but looking back on it now, it just seems so predatory. And then we cut to the flashback with the indigenous person frozen and little Annie being like, hi, and waving at him. And then it turns out there's a rattlesnake in the woods. Totally oblivious to the danger. Yeah. (laughs) And it lunges and just bites Annie. So the indigenous man carries Annie over to this little hut where she is fanned with, like, palms and stuff. And a healer sucks out the venom and then breathes it out like smoke, which is so unrealistic. Uh, Very, very unrealistic. But, but, you know, this is yet another example of a bunch of indigenous people getting together 
bunch of uh, racial minorities getting together to rescue the pretty little white girl. And the fact that they make it sound like magic, and no. Like, it's homeopathic treatment, and it should look more like that. Well, the magic is forthcoming. He's a he's a magical shaman cat. <laughs> he, he has to he has to do it magically. He can't just take the venom out. He has to use magic. Mm-hmm. Well, he couldn't have used a leaf or something. It, it's all it all has to be magic, cat. I think you're missing the, the point. But the blowing it out is what bothers me. Like, well, I like he's vaping like... it. He's vaping <laughs> yeah. the snake venom. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know I'm getting ahead, but now I'm, like, thinking about it. He comes out, uh, the whole, he turns into Annie's panther. Is the panther the okay. de- him dead now, or what? Wait, wait, we need to get this speech. Okay, first of yeah. all, I'm not sure, this person seemed very androgynous to me, but then when they spoke, it seemed like a man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, this person... Gave this little speech to Annie, saying, You will be safe now. You will return to your world beyond this jungle. By taking the bite of the snake, you saved my son's life. That is a gift I can never repay. But in return, you will always be protected. I will always be with you. And then he turns into the panther. The panther is essentially an animagus. And this is a Peter Pettigrew situation where, just like there was some dank Harry Potter references in here. Yes. Like, just like it wasn't a little rat sleeping in Ron's bed, it was a grown man. Like, this has been a grown man watching over Annie as she sleeps this entire time. Yeah, okay, that's weird. <laughs> when you think, when you frame it in that context, that's, uh, but, yeah, um... But at least they chose the right animal. I mean, I, I don't know why I didn't do research on this uh, before, but, um... Apparently, black panthers in Native American culture, as a totem animal... It's very fitting. Um, apparently, as a symbol in a dream, a black panther is mostly a sign of danger. If a panther crosses your way, uh, then you are protect- protected from everything bad. I'm like, okay, at least they chose the right animal. Yeah, they definitely chose right. That's a really fitting description. But, yeah. but uh, something I have to say about the animals in this particular episode is, um, well, first off, the shots we get of a coyote when we have that wonderful 2001 television budget cgi of the coyote spirit entering uh you know john thundertree's body um yeah whatever and um so like there's that and it's like that is clearly stock footage of a coyote this this actor was nowhere near he was a coyote he was not in the general vicinity of a coyote and the exact same thing happens later with the uh anachronistic rattlesnake in the Peruvian rainforest there. Like that is a snake that was, is, was probably dead decades before this episode was released. They clearly pulled that up out of a stock footage archive somewhere. And it's just kind of like, they couldn't have thrown a rubber snake at somebody at the very least. I mean, something <laughs> actual human interaction here. It was, uh, it's I'm just... really glad you brought up the likelihood of it being stock footage because there's this one clip of the coyote running away, but it's very clearly not running. It is very clearly uh, fast-forwarded walking. <laughs> yeah, and we got to talk about that um, that convincing, wonderful jungle set the flashback sequence is shot on. Like, um, wow, those are some plastic ferns there, you guys. I'm just yeah. 
pretty yeah. sure that's the same set the uh, series Jim Henson's Dinosaurs was shot on. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even notice, so... <laughs> I did notice the um, set where the Native American thing is taking place at, because I accidentally stumbled upon it when I went to uh, Vancouver one time. It, oh, it, cool. it looks like um, the totem poles in um, Stanley Park. Really? Yeah. Where they were? Yeah. Well, at least the very beginning, where you see all the totem poles and everybody walking around, it looks exactly like that. And also the uh, gift shop is really there, too. Wow. Yeah. So, back to the panther transformation. Do we think that this person just sacrificed their entire life? To transform into a an animal and follow Annie around and protect this little white girl forever, or it, like it certainly raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I always just wonder if he's if the panther is like him dead now or just what up, <laughs> or if maybe he was like maybe he was immortal or like maybe. how the coyote possessed. Um, you know, Thomas Morning Sun, and then he's like, I've been traveling the, these forests for hundreds of years. <laughs> I like, love maybe, that line. Maybe he's like possessed with that spirit of the panther, and maybe he just like, like a part of him just kind of lives on in Annie. But yeah. it is kind of funny to think that like she's going through this vision quest, and he's probably like eating, you know, eating some food over in Peru at the exact same time, you know? <laughs> like, well, totally yeah, no, unfair. like. Is is this a uh, Peruvian tribe now without their shaman? Did he like, you know, I mean, is he like transferring his spirit into the panther or is he like, literally very clearly it was him literally turning into the panther. Right. And that is what I find so problematic. Like if he had conjured a panther to protect her, if he had like done some incantations and summoned it to protect her. Like, that would be one thing, but to suggest that this panther that's been following Annie is really a grown man, that's too weird for me. It, 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 yeah. That is so weird, you should even <laughs> say. Um, but, you know, I want to talk about, like, okay, so so I'm, I'm about to get uh, down and dirty on Annie here. Uh, Annie stands, leave the room. So this is, to me, emblematic of everything wrong with Annie as a character. Yes, uh, preach it. Yeah, because instead of she doesn't actually do anything instead of going into this scenario and like she makes no attempt to rescue this random Peruvian tribesman she comes across. She just literally by standing there, she saves his life. And now she is forever bonded to this panther spirit, which will do anything and everything to keep her safe. Uh, up to the point where presumably, maybe, possibly, depending on how you look at it, the shaman of this tribe has devoted his entire existence to protecting this girl who has gained this wonderful, magical, literal magical plot-resolving gift through no actual actions of her own. It's like, and that has been my problem with Annie from the very beginning of the series. She just, the plot happens to her. She doesn't drive the story in any way. I mean, Annie in that scene is a child. What can she do? Well, they shouldn't have written it that way. 
Yeah, I get what he's saying, because it's like, most of the episodes, it's just kind of, like you're saying, the plot happens around her. Like, whereas with Fee, it was like, she would go and she would push the, you know, protagonist. Like, she would be out there, like, to find the story, to fix the story, and she drove the story. Whereas Annie, it's kind of like... Banshee until she got what she wanted, so... Yeah. And Annie just kind of stands there and then like all this stuff just kind of comes to her and happens around her and then she just ends up, you know, floating away perfect. And um, yeah, that is fundamentally why season three is bad. (laughs) And also, this is like the culminating arc for Annie. And this was set up in the very first episode of season three lightning rod. And it was built up as this big, terrible mystery that something happened in Annie's childhood where she gave her parents a scare in Peru and her mom, Lisa, wouldn't talk about that. Like if all it was, was just getting lost in the woods. Why, why would you keep that a secret? Like I got lost in a drugstore when I was four and I never heard the end of it because it was like, okay, don't wander off. You're going to get lost again. (laughs) Like, why would you hide that from your kid? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Well, it's like, it's the most anticlimactic conclusion to this that they possibly could have done. I mean, I guess it it could have been worse. I mean, there probably is something dumber they could have thought of, but it is just... Yeah, but there are also so many things better that they could have done. Like, for how much of a reaction Lisa had in Lightning Rod, I would have been more impressed if little Annie had been corrupted by a wisp not for crew but another one and they went took her to a witch doctor to make her forget it or something because like an evil annie with a spirit animal that stops her spirit from being corrupted would have been pretty cool like even if it was something to stop her from turning into like the cool rebellious annie oh this is where the timelines branch off is what you're telling us Uh, Yeah, that would have been an amazing way to connect some of the season three storylines together. No, I mean, I don't know what would have been better, but anything could have been better. I mean, it's such an anticlimax. And like, I don't think they thought it out. Like, I don't think when they wrote that line in Lightning Rod about it being this mysterious thing that happened to Annie in her childhood. I don't think at the time they knew what the mysterious thing was. I, especially since, obviously, they hired writers who had never worked on the show before to do this episode. So it just says to me that nobody was really thinking that hard about it. Nobody was really making an attempt to make it all make sense, to make it all work. Uh, which is, you know, in contrast to the season one and two writers who... Are so were so invested in the storyline they plotted out that they are still talking about it on our podcast to this day. So, um, you know, I, I mean, it just that that to me is a big problem. I think this just sums up everything I dislike about season three. Nobody really cared that much. Like they, there wasn't that heart put into it that was put into the first two seasons. Yeah. And I'm sure the season three fans in the audience will will heartily disagree with me, and I, I will get angry letters. <laughs> and also, to other season three fans, I really want to know your opinions on how the Native American culture was portrayed in this episode. Because this is something I feel super ignorant about, but I really feel like this episode went about it the wrong way, but I also feel like I don't, I'm not in a position to really make that comment. So I'd like to hear other people's thoughts on it. 
the thing that bothers me is like in the speech where he tells Annie that she's going to go back to her world and he makes it sound like the jungle is a world all, all to itself yeah. in a sense that like being with indigenous people is different than being with white people in a profound way like it's on a different planet when it's like you're part of the world it's a different culture not yeah. a different planet yeah i was seeing it as maybe like language barrier maybe and because obviously english he, how does he know english anyways that's another <laughs> well i mean at a certain point you just have to say with the uh it's a 25-minute episode of children's yeah. television, you guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. for me, it was probably just, like, a language thing. Obviously, if he knew English, somehow it wouldn't have been his first language. So, language is my cop-out. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, obviously, like, the thematic elements of the episode are... I wouldn't say go so far as to call them offensive, but they're definitely ignorant. They're definitely poorly yeah. done. But I mean, I, and I, I just, I think the the way the episode, the writing of the episode itself is just so disappointing. I mean, everything yes. about this, it's it's pretty lame. Like it's a pretty, it's a bummer, man. I mean, like if you had to told me when I was when season one and two were airing, and I was super into the show. And if you had told me that this was how So Weird was going to end, I would be pretty, I'd be like, man, that's bogus. I'd be so disappointed. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's a bummer. Like my first time rewatching the series, that was legit my reaction. Like what, this is Annie's big storyline? That's so lame. Yeah. Like all she did was get lost in the woods. It's nothing compared to what I get. I get lost in the woods all the goddamn time. <laughs> <laughs> I got lost in the woods too as a kid. My neighbor had to rescue me on her quad, and it was fun. That sounds I, like a better story than this one. <laughs> <laughs> I got lost in the woods last time I went to Canada. <laughs> did you meet Sasquatch? No, sadly not. I did come across, like, the most beautiful pond I've ever seen, though. <laughs> Clearly it was a magical experience, then. Yes. And none of us had to rely on somebody else to come save us. Yeah, Wait, no, that's a lie. I did have to rely on somebody else to come yeah. save me. And they had a, <laughs> since that Annie uh, did. My neighbor doesn't still come around and be like, hey, you need a ride on my quad? No. Because <laughs> that's not, not he, the, Your neighbor and his magical quad is not there to resolve every conflict you get into ever for no. the rest of the time? <laughs> well, clearly your life is not written by uh, Disney Channel room writers at this point. Um, Jimmy, you're being very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you guys. Like, there's really, like, no excuse for, I, I mean, and I think it was, Belinda, I think Belinda Metz told me that it was actually on the set of Gone Fishing when she found out that they weren't going to be continuing the show. So they were pretty far into this season when they actually found out they weren't going to be continuing it. Um, which is kind of um, scary to think that we might have actually got, you know, a season four that continued this Annie story. But um, yeah, I do think it's, um, you know, kind of a letdown just how lazily they treated the character of Annie. I mean, they could have made her so much, I guess, just made her have more things to do or like 
like we were talking about, like to be able to actually like drive the story and not just kind of sit around while everything happens around her. Um, so I, I feel mean, like I that totally was the agree. point of Annie, though. I feel like she was the very definition of a Mary Sue, and she was set up that way from the very beginning, where she was introduced as this girl who can pick up any instrument and play it without any training whatsoever. Like she was just this miracle girl. Yeah. Yeah, and I've I've talked about this before. I've always felt season three there was just this desperate, hungry need in all the scripts to make the audience want to like Annie. Like, like, oh, look at how cool Annie is. Look at all the cool things she can do. And meanwhile, we're just all bitter and angry and asking, "Where's Fiona?" <laughs> Unless you were eight years old or nine years old, like I was, because I oh. totally bought into it. Well, I yeah. loved Annie. I, I guess I wanted her hair. I loved her cool laptop. I thought it was so much better than Fee's. Now that's blasphemy. I'll give you the hair, but the laptop is no way cooler. It was cool. It was orange, okay? It was orange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me personally, I did not like Annie at all at the beginning. You know, when I was watching it when I was 11, 10, 11 years old. And um, I actually quit watching it very early on. But as an adult, I started appreciating her. I always compared to when I was watching Doctor Who the first time. I hated Martha uh, right off of the bat because she wasn't Rose. <laughs> I just get so attached to the characters. And if they're replaced, I just don't like it. It was my first ever existential crisis <laughs> when my allegiance was torn between Fee and Annie. <laughs> and like I didn't want to believe my sister when she told me that it wasn't planned for Fee to leave because then if it wasn't planned then I felt like I was betraying Fee by liking Annie and it bothered me so much well um and thank you for saying that Melissa you reminded me now I actually I know for a fact I did not see this episode when it originally aired because I remember seeing Dead Ringer which I wish I, I really had wanted to be on the podcast for the episode, but I just couldn't make it. But um, I remember seeing that and thinking it was so bad that it would like so weird had forever jumped the shark and would never be good again. And I bailed on the show at that point, which is ironic because there were all of two whole episodes left at that point. I should have just stuck it out. And also funny because now when I go back and rewatch season three, Dead Ringer is actually one of the better season three episodes, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, Dead Ringer is one of my favorites in this season. Yeah, I mean, at least it's about a character we actually care about. Um, yeah. But uh, but let's, um, I mean, I, I feel like we do perhaps need to give some room to the, the Annie lovers in the audience and say, like, I mean, I, I suppose for them, is this a pivotal episode? I mean, it, it well, must be. Well, there's something major we've been neglecting, and that is the end of this episode. This yeah. episode is iconic for that music video. I know. And to I... be fair, Because You're Watching Over Me is such a pretty song. Like, I love it. It's hands down the best song of season three. Yeah, season three, best song, be best song Annie has, for sure. I was just saying that on Twitter earlier. Basically saying that, that song is just so iconic. In my yeah, review and, for this episode, I refer to somebody watching over me as uninspired pop drivel. I, I might have been be a bit fair, harsh. But. In in my notes, I compared it to S Club 7's Never Had a Dream Come True. But, like, I, it does what? have... What is, what, what is that? Is, is oh that God, a thing? S Club 7? S Club... No. You don't know S Club 7? Oh, oh, my oh God. no. 
What did, did I do? Did you watch a Fox Family when you were younger? Uh, a little bit. I, okay, I watched well, real Ghostbuster reruns on that network. <laughs> okay, well, there was this show called S Club 7, and it was about this British pop band who comes God. to America to make it big, but they end up working at a hotel and doing odd jobs trying to make it. And in, I think it was like 2001 or 2002, one of their biggest hits was Never Had a Dream Come True. And go listen to it on YouTube and tell me it doesn't sound like Because You're Watching Over Me. Right now? It has a scene. Yeah, instrumentals. <laughs> so this was like Spice Girls, the series, it was, basically. Yes, it was actually created by the same people behind the Spice Girls. Right, this, oh, is, this is what Wikipedia is telling it, me. It's basically I, I... Spice Girls with boys and girls. Yeah, I have okay. one of their albums, like, to this day. I do like S Club 7. My favorite is Hannah Spirit, because she actually played in Seed of Chucky. Uh, <laughs> she, was, nice. she was the chick that uh, Glenn shot with the fire, and she, like, falls down the banister, like, all on fire. Oh, yeah, when, and, when he's Glinda, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Th- that's See, now you're speaking my she, language. And now- <laughs> she was a singer S Club 7. And she played in Agent Cody Banks number two as well. She's cool. I like her. I, My you know, favorite I, was Paul. I was in love really? with him when I was eight. Uh-huh. And then he left, and it made you know, me sad. Uh-huh. I, watching. I am sure I must have seen this as a kid, because this was I was absolutely in the target demographic for this, but I have completely forgotten about it. I have no recollection of this program, nor this band at all. And we are way off topic now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, because you're watching Over Me is a very pretty song and it is classic early 2000s yeah and it was probably the turning point like for me because i know i've definitely said this several times about like every episode that alex johnson sings in i'm like that was the hands down moment (laughs) but this was probably the moment where i was like that's my favorite singer because her voice is so pretty yeah Um, and I mean, her music after this, like, she really emotes that same kind of feeling that that song has. You know, it's like a really melodic, almost kind of gloomy, but yet very um, bright um, feeling in that song. It's so beautiful the way she emotes that song. And we actually did get a demo uh, with the demo singer singing that song as well. Um, that's available, I believe, on the forum somewhere. Um, but yeah, so we have two versions of that song. Um, sadly, it never we never got like an actual studio version. We only have the episode rip. But um, uh, at least song. the episode rip is very a very good quality, and there's nothing like yeah, there are no laser sound effects it. over it. Yeah, right, no dialogue. Yeah, it's super beautiful, and I mean, I still listen to it to this day, like on shuffle. When I have her on shuffle, if that song comes on, I'm, like, totally caught in the moment. Like, I love that song. Yeah, like, they introduced Annie because they wanted a pop star, and in this episode, they got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To the point where she just launches into these fully produced, glittery, synth riffs uh, pop song in a backyard somewhere. Just (laughs) out of the blue. Just just pulls that out of her hat. Uh, You know, that's the real Ah. magic, right? Conrad. Conrad on keyboards somewhere, you know, just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, was actually an episode of Instant Star where somebody commented that there was a figure in the background that looked like Conrad. It's somewhere on Conrad's hideout on LiveJournal. I need to look for it. 
Yeah, right. I wonder what episode of uh, Incensor that was because I do not remember anything in Incensor, and I've seen all the episodes. Well, clearly we have to start an Instant Star podcast now. <laughs> hey, not a bad idea. Like she sang so many songs for that show. Pretty like, much in every episode, except for season four. I don't yeah. think I've seen a single episode of this program, you guys. <laughs> Well, in season four, she does sing all the songs, but it's like when we actually got the soundtracks, they used other actors to cover oh, okay. songs because yeah. she was signed to a record label, so they could no longer release the soundtracks under just her name. So oh, they had okay. like other actors come in and record her songs. Like, oh, so you, okay. it's like she did all the songs in the show, and then when the soundtrack came out, it's like all these different singers singing her songs. Man, we felt so let down by that. I was yeah, that, pissed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, that's some bullshit yeah. right there. I honestly only care about the first two seasons of that show. Are you serious? <laughs> I like the songs from all the seasons, but when it comes to watching and sitting down and watching the show, I only really care about the first two. I've seen all of them, but after season three, I'm just lost. I think because I really loved Juderman. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So, uh, um, oh my god, you guys. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, so, Conrad's so- hideout <laughs> is gone. Oh, no. Oh no! Oh, I can't find it. Okay, maybe, wait, wait. Maybe, maybe we can find it during um on um what yeah, the web archive. Way, way back machine. I'm yeah. so sad. I well, hopefully how, it still exists somewhere. How have you not just had this entire website, uh, you know, archived, Cat? I mean, I feel like you of all people. <laughs> as much as you reference it. I know. I should have. Hopefully it's on Wayback Machine, like they screenshot it. it. Well, like they, uh, the makers of that also had like this so weird, oh my god, LOL website, and it had like the best screen captures of the characters making these strangest faces and the so weird drinking game, but that wasn't captured by the Wayback Machine either. Okay, well I just stumbled upon the um, uh, Molly Carey Love Is Broken fan site here. <laughs> yes, that was also people because well when you when you google so weird conrad's hideout a post i think you're the one who probably made yes. this <laughs> yeah that is me that's okay <laughs> all right uh that's the first thing that comes up um and let me click on the link to conrad's hideout i'm assuming you had this bookmarked so i did oh uh, yeah no this is taking us to a uh wayback machine uh http 302 response Oh no. Oh my god. The original site on Angel Fire doesn't work anymore. Well, it might just be sometimes um I still have some Angel Fire websites I check on a regular basis <laughs> and sometimes they go down for uh a yeah, Angel Fire is down right now, I think. Oh, okay. Hopefully so Conrad's happen. hideout may be safe by the time this episode comes out, listeners, please let us know the status of Conrad's hideout. <laughs> Do not let this uh, treasure be lost forever. Okay, I just checked the Wayback Machine, and it it's there. Awesome. Cool. In all, all right, the feel... glory of Annie with little horns on her. Yeah, all, all the glory of early 2005 internet. To, well, earlier than that. It says 2006 down here, but there's no way this website was made in 2006. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so anyway, uh, Annie's song. Uh, not a great episode. Not not a great no. episode. Great song. Not a great episode. <laughs> are we are we ready for ratings here? Have we uh, or do we have anything else to say about this particular slice of fried gold? Something I do they uh, name it Annie's song just because of the song, or is there like a r- reason for that beyond that? Well, at the beginning of the episode, when Molly and Annie are in the gift shop, Molly's humming this tune, and Annie says that sounds sounds familiar, and Molly's like, oh, don't you remember? Your parents were the ones who talked to me. They used to sing it to you all the time when you were little. And then after Annie goes through her flashback in the woods and remembers everything, she wakes up sitting against a tree and singing it to herself. I completely missed over those details. I mean, I remember the one in the this shot, but I completely, like, yeah, I did not notice the part where oh. she woke up to singing it to herself. Well, you know, you yeah. gotta think, like, this is a big difference between genre television now and genre television in 2001. Because, like, if this show was doing the storyline now, it would have been, like, stretched out for the entire season. It would have been this huge arc that they're building up to. It would have actually had yeah. a satisfying conclusion, probably. And knowing the way genre television tends to go, it probably would have gone on for years and years and years. We all would have been sick of it by the time it was finally resolved, because that's just the way TV is written anymore. But, um, but now, but, you know, but back then, it was just like, uh, yes, the second to last episode of the, basically the season finale, because the last episode is going to be a clip show. So uh, we got to wrap this shit up now, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, two ratings. <laughs> uh, at the time, um, when I re- rewatched the entire series, I gave this a five out of ten, which in really? retrospect seems almost too generous. I think um, maybe a four point five is a little closer to where I'm actually at with Annie's song. That's okay. actually generous from me. Because I know I liked this episode as a kid, and I still love the song at the end, but watching it now, this episode is just so icky to me. Like, it's worse than I remembered, and very disappointing and problematic due to the creeper undertones, lack of any meaningful dialogue from the rest of the cast, the letdown of Annie's lame past, and just the WTF moment of her spirit animal being an actual adult human being this whole time so this episode gets like a two and a half maybe a three for me yeah because like i i don't enjoy this episode anymore i'm sorry but i don't i loved it at one point but the points i give it now is all to the song at the end because that song is still beautiful but it still creeps me out to think that she's actually singing about a grown man watching her as she sleeps. Well, I mean, at least we forget that uh, Twilight was a huge deal in um, 2012 or whenever the hell that movie came out. And, but, um, so there, there are, there's obviously a portion of the world that's totally uh, thinks that's cool. But um, yeah, no, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I did too when I was like 15. And now we all know better. Yeah, like you grow up and you realize, actually, that's not such a great idea after all. Pretty much. So, Jimmy, your rating? I think I'm going to give it like a 4 out of 10, just because it is the conclusion. It is the end of Annie's arc. And, I mean, I always really held it kind of like in a sentimental light. Like, I really liked that tribal music and, I don't know, I guess 
as a kid, I really loved it. But now as an adult, I can look back at it honestly and say, man, they really, you know, dropped the ball with this one. And again, like Kat's rating, like I have to chalk it up to the song, that the song is so sentimental to me and beautiful. But um, yeah, I mean, it could have been so much better, but so could the whole season. <laughs> so four out of 10. Uh, for me, I will probably say five. Yeah, five out of ten. Uh, for most, mostly for all the reasons you guys already mentioned, it seems like a weak ending to this whole plot. I do think a lot of things are a little bit, or a lot of things you mentioned were a little bit too thought about. I mean, it's season three, so weird. <laughs> if you don't think about it, it's a good episode. If you but. don't think about it, it's a good episode. Truly yeah. the highest of recommendations. Yeah. If you don't think about it, a lot of season three can be good. But, yeah. I just like to not think about it too much. But, yeah. It's, uh, five out of ten, mostly to the song again. But, yeah. I like it a little bit more. I, I really wish Emily was here so we could get her trying to explain her thumbs up thumbs down <laughs> you know second to last episode of the podcast and she i, I still don't get it but uh, <laughs> i i am guessing yeah. she'd probably rate it one thumb down one sideways thumb yeah yeah no probably no i'm guessing probably like uh we're <laughs> emily come on the show and defend yourself but anyway <laughs> either, either that or emily just comment below tell us your thumb rating yes no she's <laughs> listening she'll be listening to this please uh <laughs> Um, so, do we have, before we, we totally put a bow on Annie's song, I mean, since this is more or less, this, I mean, there's one more episode, but this is basically the series finale for So Weird. I mean, surely we have something more momentous to say. Surely. But no? like the characters, it's not meaningful. <laughs> like, we had Clue back for this episode, and that was good. That was something that I didn't account for in my rating. And that's because, like, even Clue's lines, like, Clue's always been the comic relief character, but it's all jokes with him of, like, oh, well, I want to go somewhere with food. And despite being in college, he's just getting dumber for some reason. <laughs> and then Carrie well, gets almost no lines in this episode at all. Well, and once again, Molly is sidelined. I mean, like... Yeah. And though at least, like, I feel like we haven't seen... Um, now, granted, I, I've skipped a couple episodes but i feel like uh irene and ned have had even less to do this season like, to the point where they haven't been in a couple of episodes so at least they were brought back they don't really contribute anything to the story but at least they're there yeah yeah they have been missing like pretty much the whole season <laughs> i feel like anyways and i also feel like jack has very little to do in this episode i mean it really is all about annie yeah, and like her Magical mystery panther. All Jack does is provide some background information about vision quests and offer to go get Annie at the end and Molly stops him. Yeah. So, yeah. do we have anything else we want to discuss this evening? This fine August evening. We do have a couple comments from Gone Fishing. Already? Though that one's not bad. I gotta say, I am... Um, uh, just to do a general thought on uh, Gone Fishing, I think that one is okay. This comment comes from uh, 
Corey uh, on the Gone Fishing episode. He says, uh, this episode was only the second or third episode I got to watch live and like the fourth any episode I'd seen. I had a slight fever, so it seemed so surreal to me that I kind of love it, or at least that memory of watching it the first time. Oh, I always feel like it's super special when you can remember how you felt watching an episode. Yeah. Yeah, and I, de- I definitely have had that um, trying to watch a movie or a TV show why uh, sick and or feverish, and it always, it's, uh, you tend to remember that kind of stuff. It's uh... Yeah. It's a very For me, it was being sick at four years old and watching Aladdin and the Den of Thieves on VHS that my mom got me from the library. Aladdin and the, the Den of Thieves or the King yeah. of Thieves? I don't remember. I was sick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember um had a I had a I, I had a hideous, hideous uh cold and was um sleeping on an air mattress in my sister's unfinished attic watching the fantastic planet and lage door which are both two very very surreal french films um why very very sick and let me tell you that was a that was a night so (laughs) all right so our next email is from is this uh, andrea andrea or is this some other andrea okay that's andrea all right this is from andrea is this on uh go fish yeah gone fishing gone fishing okay go Um, fish go fish that was an episode of buffy but (laughs) Uh, okay so yeah this is from andrea on gone fishing and she says this is another good review it has been a while since you all posted the last episode i too thought about the fact that evolution takes a long time to come about in nature but for purposes of this episode i like to let myself believe that fate or some sympathetic paranormal force allowed the lake man to transform so that he could remain in the home that he loved and also i like to think that maybe he eyed the little boy's hot dog because he just missed the taste of human food and not to mention that the fish supply is clearly running low in the lake so one way or another he is just about to get something to eat he's just out to get something to eat i cannot believe that you are down to three episodes for review i know how you all have talked about the writing falling short and not fitting in with the timeline of the first two seasons so i cannot wait to hear your thoughts on the few mistakes that should not have been made in the dead ringer episode molly's saying that the family moved into the house in the mountains when Thee was three jack was five excuse me but fiona was three when her father died so that means the family moved in within a year of rick's death there would not have been time for the family to build so many memories that molly felt haunted enough by his memory to sell the house and in lightning rod the Thelans not only come over to the phillips house but annie also says i totally owe you an apology for the last time i was here meaning she had been there before there's no way she should have known which house belonged to the phillips yes wow great points i'm sure you brought up every single one of those on the episode yeah we did (laughs) and just to clarify the reason why the timing is off is because at this point that we're recording we've already recorded the episode for dead ringer but it has not been posted yet so if it seems weird that we're reading this comment on this video that's why But yes, I agree with all of this, Andrea. Thank you so much for bringing it up. And I also really like that comment about the lake man going to steal the little boy's hot dog because he missed the taste of human food. That's a good take that I didn't think of before. Yeah, and uh, I do like uh, the part where she's saying she lets herself believe that fate or some sympathetic paranormal force allowed the man to transform because... 
that's one thing I did not like about that episode. How I guess uh, he was—he basically evolved like a Pokemon, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than how evolution actually works. But um, yeah, and, and you know, and once again, I know I say this every single time, but you know, thank you, Andrea, for being a constant presence on the show for always writing to us always having wonderful feedback you i've said it before i really do feel like you are the i know we were up to five or six hosts technically now but i do feel like andrea is the fifth host always <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah is so that thank it for you feedback? for always being psychic She's yeah psychic. no absolutely she has i i've made that comment before yeah she rocks so um we definitely want to send our love to the johnson family um if you didn't know alex johnson's sister mckenna johnson recently passed away she lost her battle to cervical cancer um and we had just interviewed alex and about two weeks later we got the terrible news that her sister had passed away so that's why we are waiting to the end of the podcast to actually post our interview with alex johnson out of respect for she and her family but um, definitely send your love to Alex and let her know that you're praying for her and her family. Sad news. And unfortunately, we have even more sad news. Right now, Chris Gibson has a GoFundMe going. Chris Gibson played Rick Phillips in seasons one through two of So Weird. And he is in stage four of prostate cancer. So he really needs help campaigning for his cancer treatments so if you would like to donate we will include a link to the GoFundMe below yeah absolutely if, if you can give please do thank you it yeah sorry to end it on a dark note well we we don't have to to end it there have you guys did you guys talk about the uh disney plus announcements uh n- not in the last few episodes all right well i just i guess we should mention that um, they have released more information about Disney Plus. In fact, they just released today that um, apparently for $12 a month, you'll get Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus, which is a pretty good deal. Anyway, um, they have re- they said they released a list of some of the stuff that's going to be on there. And, of course, so weird, nowhere to be seen. Now, I'm not totally you know, giving up hope here. Um, because I think there's still a lot of things they have yet to announce, but uh, at this moment, you know, pretty underwhelmed by what we're seeing in that regard. Yeah. But it might be a good time to hit up Disney Channel's media team on Twitter or what have you. Maybe track down some email requests and be like, hey, we want to see So Weird on Disney+. Plus." Actually, uh, I guess the Disney thing, and I forget what their uh, event is this month. Oh, what is uh, that, D- D23 or whatever? Yeah, D23. They're going to have uh, it available like uh, for people to try out there. And I'm like, damn it, I live in California. I could technically go, but I'd probably be missing a day of class, which starts next week. Plus, yeah, money. So if anybody else lives in California and wants to go and tell us what's on there. Or just yeah, we, tell us if yeah, So Weird is on there. <laughs> yeah, we need a uh, we need a So Weird podcast fan in attendance at D23 giving us intel. <laughs> well, guys, do we have anything else we uh, want to bring up tonight? or 
I think that about covers it. All right. I'm so glad I could be. I know I've been um, off the show for a couple episodes because I I won't get into it, but I have had some change ups in, in my life, just busier with things. And um, but I am glad to be back. And uh, especially since we are this journey, this three year journey of ours is very nearly at an end. Don't so. say it. I'm going <laughs> to cry. Hey, now. Hey, now. Don't dream it's over. So, uh, I think the next episode is going to have all six of us. We're yes, going to try and pull that off. final episode. Yeah. Yep. We'll try, try to, to all be available at the same time, same day. <laughs> Thank you once again for listening. This has been the So Weird Podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Zach. I'm Melissa. And I'm Jimmy. Keep the faith. Never give up on So Weird. And if you can, please send your love to the Johnson family. And if you can donate, please do so for Chris Gibson. So